welcome to episode 25, The Truth About the Government Shutdown. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on Facebook or Twitter and the topic of birthright citizenship or tariffs, abortion, climate change, socialized medicine, or the government shutdown come up, please share the TruthQuest episode. Or if you come across an article related to one of the episodes on a website that allows comments, copy and paste the link of the episode. Also, if you are listening on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment to scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. And if you're feeling generous, please consider supporting the show financially. All donations will be used to expand the reach of the show. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for a link to the patronage page. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the TruthQuest podcast. Well, another fiscal year has come and gone and another spending resolutions deadline is looming. It seems like every year we go through the same exercise with the political class arguing and case casting blame on each other over who is going to cause the latest pending government shutdown. This year is no different with every Democrat sticking to the script by calling this this year's pending shutdown the Trump shutdown. You see endless apocalyptic claims that the shutdown will cost the economy billions of dollars. It's just the latest faux outrage serving to keep us deplorables unsettled and irritated. Have you noticed the never-ending stream of crisis? The government shutdown being the latest. All an attempt to keep our minds off the big picture. The Fed's 100% failure rate, the national debt, the endless wars, the dual justice system, the burgeoning size of the federal government, the domestic spying, the illegal immigration crisis, etc. When you research this topic, you can't help but come across a little humor, and the the more I thought about it, I realized it's probably a very persuasive method I can use to make my point. For example, if the government shut down, who would spy on us, lie to us, waste our money, and have contempt for us? Or, The government shut down? I need to stock up on incandescent light bulbs while I can. Or, how about this headline? The government shuts down. Nation descends into chaos. Rioting, looting, and cannibalism. This fictitious story starts by saying, We survived the Great Depression, World War II, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Jimmy Carter, 9-11. But America ceased to exist yesterday when the federal government shut down. And finally, my favorite. These shutdowns always come down to who will blink first. Well, we know it ain't going to be Pelosi. She hasn't blinked in 10 years. All right, so despite the humor, here are some of the real hysteria-ridden headlines I uncovered while researching for this episode. So you see headline after headline and talking head after talking head screaming, Who gets the blame for the shutdown? Well, attention mainstream media. No one cares except you idiots. We have lives. We have children, jobs, bills to pay, money to earn. Or the claim that the Department of Homeland Security won't be funded. Well, golly, how did this nation survive 225 years without this unconstitutional monstrosity? Or try this one. Quote, half of the Federal Department of Health and Human Services will will not be working as they look to combat the flu season. OMG, without the efforts of HHS, we would all die the flu. Give me a break. Here's an actual sentence from an article. Quote, the Internal Revenue Service, preparing for an influx of tax filings, said that more than 40% of its workers will be furloughed on Monday. 
I'm sorry, but you have to be some kind of stupid to use the IRS as a sympathy play. Or how about this Washington Post headline? I voted for Trump. Now his wall may destroy my butterfly paradise. This individual is very angry at Trump's insistence on making the building of the wall a part of this government shutdown discussion because his quote-unquote paradise sits right on the Rio Grande River and will be impacted by the actual wall if it is built. Here's an oldie but goodie. If the government shuts down, we risk defaulting on the national debt. Hmm. Meanwhile, every special interest group, bureaucracy, and government agency anxiously lines up to publish their own apocalyptic warnings about what the shutdown means to the people they so courageously serve. Here are a few examples. In 2013, a con contingency staffing plan from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services stated that in the absence of appropriations, 45% of the Food and Drug Administration's 15,000 employees will be temporarily forced out of their jobs. FDA will be unable to support the majority of its food safety, nutrition, and cosmetic activities. This means that routine establishment inspections, some compliance and enforcement activities, monitoring of imports, notification programs, and the majority of lab research will stop. Here's another one. As for the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Safety and Inspection Service, which regulates meat and poultry processing and packaging, 87% of the 10,000 employees would be retained to get this, to ensure the safety of human life for the duration of the government shutdown. But the USDA plan warns that a lengthy hiatus would affect the safety of human life and have serious adverse effects on the industry, consumer, and the agency. Quote, despite the agency's planning, a government shutdown will make it easier for contaminated food to slip through to consumers and will make it harder for the federal government to identify and respond to outbreaks. I love this one. Headline, only one CDC scientist is tracking foodborne illness thanks to the shutdown. Quote, Center for Disease and Control and Prevention is operating now that approximately two-thirds of its 13,000 employees have been told to stay home. I don't know about you, but as I read those self-aggrandizing statements, I keep hearing Dana Carvey's church lady character from Saturday Night Live saying, well, don't you think you're special? If you are unfamiliar with that reference, check it out on YouTube, or better yet, I'll put a link in the show notes page. It's pretty funny. It's so self-serving, so disingenuous, it's, it's faux hysteria. The real question that no one ever asks is, why is the federal government involved in meat inspection? Why is the federal government involved in these activities of food safety, nutrition, and cosmetic activities, and the safety of human life? There is no shame. I found one article in the Minnesota Star Tribune that makes my point perfectly and provides so many object lessons, I couldn't resist sharing it with you. Across Minnesota, the federal government shutdown abruptly cut short workdays for thousands of federal workers, turning routine errands into headaches creating insecurity at social service offices, and locking the gates at national parks and recreation areas, just as the fall colors are about to reach their peak. State officials said Tuesday that they are trying to determine the full impact of the shutdown in Minnesota, which gets about $10 billion a year from the federal government for health, welfare, education, and other core services. So you can't see the changing leaves anywhere except in the national parks? Look out your window. Does anyone take the time to ask why Minnesota gets $10 billion a year from D.C.? Or ponder where the Constitution grants the federal government the power to be involved in health, welfare, or education? The article continues. 
Many programs will continue as before, but money for supplemental nutrition assistance to families, SNAP, will run out by the end of the month. Chuck Johnson, Deputy Commissioner of the State Department of Human Services, said that by November, quote, there is no state appropriation to back on, to fall back on. That's a concern, end quote. Hmm. Perhaps we should explore how the backstop offered by the Fed's money causes the state of Minnesota to become complacent and lazy in working to fund their own poor and needy citizens. Why aren't they taking care of their own? Again, where in the Constitution is the program like SNAP? A subheadline further down in the article screams, Park closures cost schools. Why, you ask? Because the kiddos can't visit national parks. The next sentence says, Minnesota hunters will find themselves barred from hunting on some federal lands. Does anyone pause to ask, why are there national parks? The land is not federal. The federal government has no constitutionally granted land beyond D.C. and some provisions for military installations. Why are the feds involved to begin with? How about we have a conversation about federal government land ownership? There's more. Quote, can't replace lost social security cards or get new ones or apply for other benefits, end quote. Well, perhaps if we did not pass and fund unconstitutional federal programs like social security, we wouldn't have this problem. See episode number eight, The Truth About Social Security, if you're interested. The article that keeps on giving has this final nugget, quote, at the Food and Drug Administration, layoffs could lead to delays in approving life-saving drugs, treatments, and medical devices. The shutdown could slow research at the Mayo Clinic, which gets much of its funding from the National Institute of Health, end quote. Again, can anyone show me where in the Constitution the founders enumerated the power to the federal government to regulate and test pharmaceuticals or fund medical research? See why this makes me crazy? You've got a bunch of constitutionally illiterate people writing or speaking for their little special interests, bitching and moaning about Congress's inability to pass spending measures, yet most of what they are complaining about is irrelevant. It's unconstitutional. The federal government should not be involved in any of these things. In truth, a shutdown only closes approximately 20 to 40 percent of the federal government, depending on the source, and only non-essential employees are furloughed, which begs the question that rarely is asked, if they are not essential, why are they employed at all? Which begs another question that is never asked, is the job these people are doing for the federal government constitutional? And if the answer is no, how about we eliminate their non-essential unconstitutional jobs and agencies? As Americans have come to see, the country can survive with 20 to 40% less government. The sun still rises and sets, your water, cable, internet, and electricity still work. For 97% of the population, you go get up and go to work regardless of what shenanigans are going on in D.C. The garbage still gets picked up, the police and fire departments still continue to respond to calls, the highways work, the grocery stores are open. Despite its gargantuan size, you come to realize just how insignificant the federal government really is. That's the way the founders planned it. Instead of using these so-called shutdowns as opportunities to make apocalyptic predictions and suggest mass hysterias around the corner, or using them as blaming sessions by Democrats on whichever branch of government is currently controlled by Republicans, why doesn't anyone, with the exception of Ron Paul, take this opportunity as a learning experience, one to expose the despicable, unconstitutional, overreaching nature of the federal government? No one ever stops and asks why the federal government is involved in any of these things. If the government really shut down, the private sector is more than able to provide most of these so-called vital services.
In episode number three of The Truth About the Constitution, I explained exactly what powers the Constitution granted to the federal government. I want to briefly revisit that now. It comes from Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. It is 18 paragraphs long. In it, the Founding Fathers clearly articulate what limited powers the Constitution grants to the federal government. Here is a breakdown of those 18 paragraphs. Six of them concern the military and the militia. Four of them concern money or taxes. One paragraph concerns commerce. One concerns naturalization and bankruptcy. Another concerns post office and post roads. Then you have one about copyrights and patents. There's one about federal courts, one about maritime crimes, and there's one that, about the governance of the District of Columbia. And finally, uh, one paragraph gives Congress the power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper to carry into execution the foregoing powers, meaning Congress can make whatever laws to f fulfill this small list of powers. You likely noted that there are zero paragraphs concerning health insurance or health care. There's no paragraphs about education, food safety, meat inspections, cosmetics. There's no paragraphs concerning the fighting of disease or nutrition. There's no paragraphs about Social Security or the expansion of federal land ownership. There's nothing in there about welfare programs or pharmaceuticals. Isn't that remarkable? Literally the only federal agencies that should exist are the Department of Defense, the Post Office, State Department, maybe the Treasury Department, the Patent and Trademark Office, unfortunately the IRS, uh, given the 16th Amendment, uh, the federal court system, Attorney General's Office, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the Justice Department. That means the abolishment or privatization of well-known agencies such as the Department of Education, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, Energy Department, Amtrak, Food and Drug Administration. The list goes on and on. So back to the topic at hand. What is not shut down during a government shutdown? Well, it turns out a lot. According to the LA Times, programs that don't require annual appropriations, things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and other so-called entitlements, continue without interruption. See, these programs are funded annually without congressional approval because of laws that make them quote-unquote permanent appropriations. More on this in a minute. What else? Law enforcement, the military, intelligence agencies, foreign embassies, the federal court system, they all stay open. You'll be happy to know that the NSA remains unaffected by the government shutdown. The U.S. Postal Service remains open. See, it's a quasi-independent entity. Well, a bankrupt quasi-independent entity, but it remains open. Local parks and schools and libraries and city government buildings remain open. Airports, air traffic controllers, they're there. They're operating. Federal prisons, veterans hospitals, everything's good there. Congress, nope, Congress remains open. Too bad we can't shut them down, huh? Amtrak, another bankrupt quasi-independent entity remains open. So let's be honest, all the recent shutdowns end up being paid vacation days for millions of unconstitutional federal employees. The truth is that since 1976, there have been 18 so-called government shutdowns. They lasted an average of seven days. Wow. The truth is that because of these permanent appropriations mentioned a minute ago, ostensibly, 86% of federal funding is on autopilot and does not require annual approval from Congress. So as a frame of reference, $3.2 trillion of the $3.7 trillion 2015 budget did not require authorization. This autopilot spending has expanded from $1.7 trillion in 1994 to that 
2 trillion that I just mentioned. That's an 87% increase. That's after adjusting for inflation. Has your household budget expanded by 90% since 1994? Let me get this straight. We are subjected to all this mass faux hysteria over 14% of the federal budget? We could implement a 14% across-the-board cut in the federal budget and no one would notice. There's that much waste and fraud in the system. Every time you hear the words government shutdown, I want you to, that number, that 14%, to come to mind. This is yet another example of Congress's abdication of its constitutional duty. As I mentioned in a previous episode, The Truth About Tariffs, Congress has successfully neutered itself in order to avoid anything controversial that might hinder their re-election bids. They have abdicated their, du their constitutional duty when it comes to trade and tariffs, they have abdicated their duties to declaring war via the War Powers Act, and they've done it in regards to spending. By putting more and more of the government on autopilot, lawmakers, both Republicans and Democrats, can wash their hands of most of the federal budget and spend their free time pandering to special interests, lobbyists, and raising money for re-election. All of the positioning by Congress and the President, regardless of which party dominates or resides, is fake. Obama was fake and disingenuous when he blamed John Boehner. Boehner and the GOP were fake and disingenuous blaming Obama. Trump is fake and disingenuous when he blames Pelosi and Schumer, and Pelosi and Schumer are fake and disingenuous blaming Trump. We are all being played for fools, as various talking heads go on Hannity and blame Democrats. Then you switch over and see the talking heads on Maddow's show blaming Trump and the Republicans. It's a show, folks. It's a distraction from the fact that 80% of what Congress and, pres and the President preside over is unconstitutional. They are all self-serving and interested only in two things, power and control. If they weren't, they would cut spending. They would eliminate and or privatize entire unconstitutional federal agencies. They would tell you the truth.